crying? There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No! No! And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball! No crying! Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And I'm Joe Nestorook. Welcome to the Woman in Revolt podcast. This is a podcast that is an extension of my blog, womaninrevolt.com where we talk about women in film and TV, maybe behind the camera, maybe in front of the camera, all different positions within the film industry. And today we are here to talk about Penny Marshall's 1992 film, A League of Their Own. Well, it is the 30th anniversary of the film, which is very important, but we also felt like we just needed... Something that we felt empowered women after kind of a shit week in the Supreme Court decision on Roe versus Wade. It's been a very, very difficult week, so we just wanted to especially uplift women as much as we could with this episode. Yes, so on Friday, Roe v. Wade was struck down by the Supreme Court. And shit is uh, pretty fucking bleak if you are a person who can get pregnant or if you are a person who loves someone who can get pregnant. Or, hey, fuck, if you are just a decent human being with some type of moral compass, this should be pretty devastating for you. And it certainly has been a hard week for us both. And we are just kind of trying to cope with the ramifications of this. And I know for me, it's been really helpful just to watch movies and to try to distract myself momentarily from how fucking horrific, let's say, the past six, seven years have been since Donald Trump arose on the scene. And not that things had been rosy before him, but I agree with every bit of that. I've been dealing with a lot of rage. I've just had so much rage that this has been allowed to happen. I feel like it's been a calculated effort by the Republican Party for the last 30 years, using abortion as an issue to divide people, misinformation about abortion, turning it into something dirty and terrible as anything that surrounds women seems to be made into. And I just have really tried to control my rage and turn it into something positive by looking at ways that I can help. I personally live in Kentucky. This is a state that on the books had a trigger law, meaning the minute that Roe versus Wade was overturned, a very stern, cruel, horrific law went into effect banning all abortions. They do give a slight exception if the woman's life is in danger, or if another weird thing, if an organ is going to be in peril, which I don't even know what the fuck, but okay. whatever. We're redu- women are reduced to different parts of their body now. So it is especially devastating being in this state to see this happening. So I'm trying to channel my knowledge and my research and my anger into being part of a network that can hopefully 
help women looking for this type of healthcare service to be able to find it. So that's one thing that I've been trying to do to make myself somehow feel like I <laughs> can somehow help through this. And I am in Michigan, and we have an old 1931 abortion ban that's still on the books there. Thankfully, we have a Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and we also have a Democratic attorney general. Whitmer has a lawsuit and Planned Parenthood has a lawsuit to be heard by the Michigan Supreme Court to try to get this law reversed. But I truly don't know what is going to happen with that. We also have Republicans trying to oust Whitmer, who's up for re-election again in November, and that's very scary. But one good thing is we do have people doing a petition drive trying to get signatures to amend the state constitution to enshrine abortion rights regardless of that statute. So if you are in Michigan and you see people taking signatures to get this on the ballot for the election, please sign, ask who is sponsoring the bill, and definitely read the language in the first paragraph, make sure that it is legit. But this is something that could potentially be good and I think could also get people out to vote for Whitmer. So it could have multiple positive effects. And I'm just kind of trying to believe that this will work out and that this one small positive thing will happen. And so that's kind of where I'm trying to channel my energy, I guess, because otherwise it just Things feel too big and too helpless and too scary. And as my therapist would say, you've got to chunk, chunk and focus on little things and don't let the whole big picture nonsense swallow you up and make you depressed. That's right. You cannot project out and just add on so much more anxiety of things that have not yet happened. That is very good advice. Just deal with what is happening in front of your face at the moment. You still have to be able to have some good moments. You have to be able to live. You have to be able to function and not downplaying this at all because we just can't sweep it under the rug and say, oh, well, and just go on as if as if nothing has changed. It definitely has changed and there is more to come, I believe. But we do have to just, at this point, I think, deal with it as best as each person can with self-care, not let yourself get overwhelmed. Try to organize. Find like-minded people. If you can volunteer once a month, whatever, anything that you could do that would be helpful and also be helpful to yourself to feel like you're doing something. That's the way that I'm trying to handle it. And I think that that was very important for us to talk about this movie because as we have stated before, and we'll get more into it, the, the movie is a little dated. It has some problems, but it also is a very loving story, cemented around women, tells stories about women, empowering women, showing women in sports, being powerful. So I feel like this would be a perfect thing to bring to everyone right now. And when I was a little kid, this movie was huge. For me, I loved sports movies, and this was the first one I ever saw that was all women. It was focusing on women's sports, and that was revelatory. I just, when I rewatched it, I feel like I didn't quite get those feelings because I was more 
focusing on the technical aspects of the film and some things I thought it could have done better. You know, it's hard to shut that off in your brain once you get into that mode of movie watching. But as a kid, this movie was so meaningful for me and it will always hold a very special place in my heart. Just it being the first movie with a female cast like this. It's just very heartwarming to see the story that is based on history in many ways, fictionalized history, and to learn about that and to celebrate it. Absolutely. How old were you when you first saw it? Probably like seven or eight. Okay, you were young. Yeah, I went through this period where I really liked this movie and this other movie called Little Giants. Did you ever see that? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't ever revisited that one as an adult, but I mean, I watched that movie like a billion times on VHS as a kid. Right. And Joe, when did you first see this movie? I saw it when it came out, so I was probably what I was probably twenty seven twenty eight ish when I saw it. I actually went to the theater. It was funny. I had just I originally was from Alabama and had just moved out of state to the state of Washington. Big change, and I had come back home to Alabama for a visit, and my mom and dad and I and my brother went to see this. And I just remember it being a fun movie. Everyone loved it. It was the talk of the town. Tom Hanks was a big name. I think he had just, a few years earlier, had done Splash, and then he did Big, another Penny Marshall film. So he had had, I know, maybe not some so great movies in between, but he was still just such a big name and so popular then. And also Madonna, She was really very, very popular at this time and kind of an enigma. And for her to be in the film, I think everyone was curious to see her in it. So as strange as that may sound now, I think that that was kind of a big draw also, that she was going to be in here. That was played up a lot. And then she also had a hit single from the movie, which became a, a number one hit so I think just a, a few things combined. I just remember it was like, everyone's like, you have to go see this movie. So we did. And I remember really enjoying it. I just loved it. Do you remember, did everybody in the theater clap at the end? I don't know about clapping, but I remember everybody laughing when Tom Hanks did his famous, there's no crying in baseball. Yeah. I remember everybody laughing and laughing about that. And I think... I think I kind of remember the there's a I don't want to give too much away, but there's a scene where he urinates in front of all the women. And I remember that getting a big laugh Mm. in the in the movie. I just kind of remember that. But I know that it was a beloved movie and anything that I can remember from that time. I remember thinking and my parents liked it and my brother liked it like everybody could like this movie. Yeah. You know, everybody could like it. You could find something that you liked about it. Yeah, Penny Marshall was really good at making those kinds of movies where it has wide appeal and ability to make money. If you had to pick a favorite Penny Marshall film, what is your favorite? My favorite Penny Marshall film is definitely Big. I just have such a soft spot for that movie. I don't know. I think it just caught me at the right age and it made me really obsessed with those Zoltar machines 
<laughs> when I first moved to New York, I was like, I have to go to Coney Island and I have to find the Zoltar machine because it was in big and it just seems so cool. And who knows, like maybe I will body jump or something. <laughs> but yeah, that movie and Tom Hanks. I'm not a huge Tom Hanks fan, but I do really think he is charming and delightful in that movie. Yes. What about you? I love Tom Hanks. I just love him. I feel like I've grown up with him. I remember him when he was on TV in Bosom Buddies. That was my first introduction to him. And so I feel like somehow, even though he's a little bit older than me, like I grew up on him in a way. So I've always liked him. I Big is probably definitely my favorite, but I remember seeing Jumping Jack Flash. Hmm. And Whoopi Goldberg, I remember thinking she was so funny in that movie. I don't know that the movie is the best in the world, but I just remember liking Whoopi Goldberg so much in that yeah. film. And also Awakenings, that was a different film. I think that's a really good film. I would like to rewatch that one. That was very impactful. I remember Robin Williams, he actually had a serious role in that and that was kind of unusual at the time for him it was considered a stretch and all of her films appealed to me in a way but I, I guess big I would have to go with big as my favorite I think it's just a classic and joyful and really happy and so yeah honestly if you need another good movie to watch that is uplifting and kind of won't make you despair big is a good one also to check yes. out all right. Well, as always, maybe we've forgotten to do this the past couple of times, but there will be spoilers for this 30 year old movie. So if you don't want those, maybe don't listen to the episode, but we'll be talking about the film in its entirety. So A League of Their Own is a fictionalized account of a real moment in history when World War II prompted Major League Baseball to start a new professional league with women called the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. This 1992 film follows the Rockford Peaches, which were a real team, the most successful team in the league, during their first season. Catcher Dottie Hinson is played by Gina Davis, and her little sister, pitcher Kit Keller, is played by Lori Petty. And they have sort of a classic sibling rivalry rooted in a love of competition and a well of insecurity on Kit's behalf. Kit has kind of always envied Dottie's talent and beauty and resented how easily good things come her way. Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell play Mae Morbido and Doris Murphy, two friends who are honestly kind of forgettable, I think, because their rules are underwritten. But Mae is a center fielder who used to be a dancer in a club and enjoys attention from gentlemen. And Doris plays third base and is kind of loud and a fast talker, very... Long Island. And some other casting highlights are Megan Cavanaugh plays Marla Hooch, who is sort of the ugly one on the team. I'm air quoting ugly. She is really good at hitting. She was kind of raised in a gym with her dad, and they almost don't want to take her for the league because she's not conventionally attractive. And then, of course, there is Tom Hanks as the drunk, washed up, former pro baseball player turned manager who is put in charge of managing the Peaches, but doesn't really have the 
mental capacity to do it because he is wasted all the time. So the film follows all of these players as they go through their first season, and it builds up to the World Series game where the Rockford Peaches and the Racine Bells play against each other. And then it time jumps to all of these women in present day, so I guess like late 80s, early 90s, as they're getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I did see an interview with Penny Marshall. And one thing that she mentioned was she had never worked with so many women before. And one of the reasons she wanted to make this movie, there were several, but one of them was she wanted to put a lot of women to work, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera. So I loved hearing that from her. Penny Marshall seemed to be the type who just really wanted to work with women and uplift women and seemed to have a good relationship with a lot of the people she worked with and I think was pretty well revered and is just one of those beloved directors who was actually able to make films that said something about human nature or what it means to be a woman or kind of deeper themes but in a more commercially viable way which I feel is a skill that not a ton of directors have. So I think she should be remembered and upheld for that reason, even though she obviously had to make some creative compromises, I think, in in certain cases to get her stories out there in the world. She did. I think it's very notable. Not only was she a woman director, but she was a woman director whose films made money. She was able to do something that a lot of people and a majority of women, just because they were not given the opportunity, she was able to make successful films that made a lot of money. And she put herself out there as a woman. And I do believe helped the women up the rung of the ladder as much as she could. I have always been a Penny Marshall fan from her earliest days. Well, the first time I saw her was on Happy Days Mm. in the mid-70s. So I have always been a fan of Penny. And I don't know if you know this, but there's this, I don't know what you would call it, like trend, I guess, on TikTok of people talking about actors or people working in Hollywood who are nepotism babies. Is this a thing you've heard of? I have not, but I am all ears. Please inform me. (laughs) So it'll just be like somebody on TikTok saying, I'm trying to think of an example, like Daisy Edgar Jones, who was in Normal People. They'll be like, did you know Daisy Edgar Jones is an nepotism baby? And this is who her parents are. And this is why she got her start. And it's, I think, supposed to be shocking. Like, wow, would you ever believe that this person who made it in their industry has connections? And it's like so many of these people have connections. Yeah, duh. That's how like that's how this industry is built. But anyway, I just want to say, yeah, Penny Marshall is technically a nepotism baby because her older brother, Gary Marshall, is director, writer, producer who has done a billion things that you have seen, including Overboard, Beaches, Pretty Woman, Runaway Bride. He co-created Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy and like The Princess Diaries. He's done a billion things. So I think he certainly helped her get started in the industry, but everything that she did from that point on has been 
her own merit and because of her own talent. Right. I also saw one interview with her. I did like a deep dive of Penny Marshall interviews, as you can tell, where she did say that nepotism is her way and it was her brother's way. So when she did A League of Their Own, she gave her already very famous brother, Gary Marshall, a part in it. She gave her daughter, Tracy Reiner, the role of Betty Spaghetti in the movie. So I believe that she firmly believed in keeping the family involved in projects and to keep them employed, whether they needed it or not. (laughs) Yeah, and she was, uh, as you stated her, I believe Tracy was her daughter from another relationship. And then Rob Reiner adopted her when they got together. Do you know if that, I'm pretty sure that's I how it went. I am pretty sure that's how it went. She was married before Rob Reiner, and then I know she was married to Rob Reiner. Was it in the early 70s to 80s, I think? She was married to him. Yeah. And, I mean, he was sort of same career trajectory as her, where his parents were in show business, Carl and Estelle Reiner, and they helped him get his start. He was also a nepotism baby. Right. Go figure. Just looking at what else we want to highlight from her career. Like I said, I remember Penny originally on Happy Days. She was brought on to be a brief love interest of Henry Winkler the Fonz, who was the man at that time. And then I do remember the spinoff of Laverne and Shirley, which I loved that series and loved that series. They were so funny. A lot of physical comedy. A lot of great characters came from there. And speaking of nepotism, real quick, there was actually two characters from Laverne and Shirley that were in the movie A League of Their Own, to my delight, which I noticed. Eddie Mecca was a dancer that danced with Madonna, and he was the big Ragusa on Laverne and Shirley. And also David Lander, who played Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. So I kind of enjoyed seeing those two characters pop up in smaller roles in a league of their own. I would watch Laverne and Shirley occasionally on Nick at Night when I was a kid. The only thing I really remember from that show is, did they or one of them like to drink like Coke and milk? Yes. Or something? Is that a thing? I did that as a kid. Penny Marshall drank Pepsi and Coke. That was her big thing on Laverne and Shirley. And I drank that as a young teenager, like 12, 13, 14, because she did. And everybody would be like, ooh, gross. And I thought it was... Pepsi and milk? Yeah, Pepsi and milk. It's like a Coke float, but without any ice cream in it. But that was my thing for a while. When I saw that on the episode of her doing that or knew that was her drink, I tried it and I liked it. And I drank that for like a summer. (laughs) Ew. I don't know. Something about it is just like, okay. I think my friend tried it and I was like, no. Have you ever tried it? Okay. No. You're going to try it next time you come to visit me. <laughs> okay. It's the only thing I remember really from that show. But she, I mean, she did a lot of acting. Like she, would you say she was pretty well known at the time for acting in all these different sitcoms? Oh, yes. Yes. She was very well known. But Laverne and Shirley was kind of her thrust into the wider spotlight, as I understand it. Yes, that was the big thrust. The appearance that they did on Happy Days, it was such a good performance. And they were more than 
just the extras brought on to be the girlfriends. I think it was actually probably a calculated move to bring them on there, season actresses, to have a big secondary part to maybe try to launch their own show. I don't know if that's even true or not, but they definitely made a big splash on that episode. And then it seemed like it wasn't too much longer after that that they had their own show and just took off from there. And I think from there, in like the late 70s, early 80s, Penny Marshall directed some commercials, and then she directed a few episodes of Laverne and Shirley, and maybe of, there. I think, the Tracy Ullman show, and then maybe she did a TV pilot that didn't get picked up or something, but from there, that's kind of how she then got into feature film directing with Jumpin' Jack Flash. Like So she did some TV, some commercials, then first feature film, and that was in... What year was that? 1986. 1986, yep. One thing I always forget, but Nancy Myers co-wrote the screenplay. That was like early in her career. And so again, like we said, like with the commercial viability, that film did not do particularly well from a critical reception. Like Whoopi was coming off the color purple, and this might have been one of her first or her first performance after that. So I think maybe people had different expectations for her or something but I think the film was kind of panned by critics but it did make money at the box office I think it debuted at number three and then it made I don't know 30 million or something domestically and some of her other films well we already mentioned obviously big a leak of their own awakenings but riding in cars with boys is another one I would like to rewatch that's with Drew Barrymore and Brittany Murphy I have seen it but I think only like one or two times and probably when I was in I don't know middle school I have seen it probably when it came out and I have not seen it since so that would be a good one to revisit as well so why don't we talk a little bit about just the background for the film we will link this in the show notes but we watched a really charming interview with with Lori Petty, who plays Kit, and Penny Marshall. They're both so fucking charming in this interview. Penny Marshall is like eating a cookie or something and talking with her mouth full and you can barely fucking understand her. And Lori Petty is just kind of like, they almost have a sibling relationship of sorts. It's really, really cute. But there were some good tidbits about the film in that interview. These two women together had such chemistry. They don't give a shit. They're just talking like you're sitting in your living room after a glass of wine, just letting it all spill out. It is hilarious. And I thought that it was interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I think this did come up in the interview. They were talking about how Penny had originally wanted Demi Moore for the role of Dottie, which Gina Davis ended up playing. But Demi Moore was pregnant at the time, so she couldn't do it. And then Lindsay Frost was supposed to be May, the role that went to Madonna. So there were kind of all these casting shifts and changes. Rosie was like completely unknown at the time. Was this her first feature film role? I think so. I believe so. And also they considered Deborah Winger. I think they tried to get her yeah. in as Dottie. Yeah, I think she point. like maybe had to go leave to film a pilot or something. Like, I think the production got kind of fucked up on this. 
Penny talks about it in the interview. Like they, she originally wanted to get a woman to write the screenplay, but she couldn't find a woman. So she ended up getting Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, who are like a writing team who did a shit ton of movies that you've seen, like Parenthood and City Slickers and Splash. And they, I think they also worked together on Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. I think that's how she knew them. So they ended up writing the screenplay. But in that period, when they were writing the screenplay, the film wasn't yet greenlit and it didn't have a studio attached to it. And then the studio she was working with got bought by another studio. It was like this whole cascade of things that I think maybe dragged out the production. So some of the casting got a little fucked up and shifted. I know in the interview, I thought it was very funny. Penny Marshall mentioned to Madonna about this part. I don't know if it came up that it wasn't a major part, but she told Madonna, well, you don't need to try to carry a movie right now. <laughs> I would have loved to have heard that conversation. <laughs> but then I wonder how... I didn't read anything about this, but I wonder then how they got Madonna to do an original song for the film, if that was like how they sweetened the pot for her or... Yeah, because that ended up a number one hit. I was reading where that was her 10th consecutive number one hit. Holy it shit. put her ahead of Whitney Houston. Her and Whitney Houston were tied for the most number one hits by a woman and that put her ahead, which I think later on Whitney Houston came and tied her again with I Will Always love you uh so this song was a big deal and i also read where madonna's never done this song live hmm she's never done it live in concert which i find very interesting i don't i don't know if that's true but that's what i read i mean to me it's a very forgettable song but I wouldn't consider myself a hardcore Madonna fan, so take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, I was trying to think. I just remember, you know, when a song is number one, you hear it 24-7. I believe MTV was still semi-viable at the point, and they probably played it nonstop. I'm sure the song probably came out right before the movie or before the movie to become a hit. So at the end of the movie, if you already kind of liked the song and heard the song, it seemed to add a little oomph in the movie. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big coup for Madonna at the time with that song. The most memorable things about her role, I would say, and you can tell me if you disagree with me, are the scene where she teaches, there's one girl on the team who is illiterate and Madonna's in the back of the bus teaching her how to read. I feel like it kind of has a little bit of a lesbian subtext to it. There's something like very flirty or sexual about it. That could just be me reading into it. But that scene and then Madonna also has a big dance number scene when all of the women go out to this club during one of their away games and they go dancing. Those are memorable. And I guess also her friendship with Rosie O'Donnell's character is pretty memorable and cute. But other than that, I don't really know how I would describe her character other than likes men. Absolutely. The only other scene that I think about is when they were telling the women they were going to be disbanded or something and she started crying saying I'm a taxi dancer what am I going to go back to taxi dancing and mm, yeah and pawing all over me I'm not going to do it anymore and her crying and that was a little bit of insight that she's tough on the exterior but she's had a hard life and she doesn't want to go back baseball is was her way out of a life she was not enjoying I have 
to say, I did not not like Madonna in this movie. I felt like she did okay. I remember at the time that the movie came out, her true life friendship that developed from this movie with Rosie O'Donnell was talked up a lot. It seemed like they were being interviewed on TV all the time together. So that was a big boost for Rosie because Madonna was was very, very popular. I'm not saying that she's not popular now, but she was at the height, I believe, of her fame at this point. So she was very influential. And I noticed in the movie, she got like third billing in front of everybody else. So that was something else to think about. Yeah, I watched an interview with Madonna and Rosie on Arsenio Hall, like after this movie came out. And we'll link it in the show notes too. It's like very grainy. It's on YouTube. But it is cute. It seems like this was not a PR friendship manufactured to make people see the film. It seems like they really were friends and they hung out. Like they talk about going to parties for, I don't know, the Golden Globes or Academy Awards or some shit together. And it just and it seems genuine. And as I Googled, of course, are Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell still friends? I saw pictures from one of Madonna's kids' birthday parties that Rosie was at. So it seems like they're still close. They still do stuff together sometimes. I don't know. I thought that was nice. I found it interesting that Tia Leone had a micro part in the movie. She was the first base woman for the Racine Bills. Yeah, I don't even know if she had any dialogue. Honestly, I definitely did not notice that Tia Leone is in it. It's a blip. Literally a blip. Like she comes up to bed, I think. That's it. I don't know. There were some other cute stories about other people who had been cast in the film. Like in that Penny Marshall interview, she talks about John Lovitz and how she was like, I think this is an interview years later. So she's saying like, I think he was living at my house at the time and I just wanted them to write this role for him. He's pretty funny in it. He plays the talent scout who goes to find prospective women who could play in this league. And he's really only in the beginning of the film but he is it is a funny role for him and i noticed that after penny marshall died he had tweeted what a good person she was and that she took him in when he didn't have anywhere to go and so thought again that was nice that she brought in people that she was friends with and wanted to uplift and wanted to give work to and created roles for them she said you wouldn't believe how many people have lived with me when they had no place else to go so she did seem like a genuine kind soul that did help people john lovitz i mainly remember him from saturday night live of course he was funny i thought he was funny they said that he had a lot more dialogue that was simply hilarious, but they had to cut a lot of it back because he basically disappears after the first couple of scenes in the film and they just didn't feel like he should have so much going on in the beginning when there was nothing in the second half. So I would love to see what they deleted. I'm just curious, like, what was your experience re-watching this as an adult? Were there things about the movie that you remembered differently from when you initially saw it versus when we just recently watched it? I think like you, I was much more aware of things that should have been done, could have been done, and weren't done. I know we both talked about some of the voiceover, some of the sound had some problems. There was some technical stuff, but also the lack of addressing any love affairs between the women players. They did not really highlight that seemed like that was a little bit 
they went a little bit cautious on that, where they could have expanded on the relationships between the women a little bit more. For everything that it did at the time, I'm sure it did its limits of what it could do at the time, but that seems something a little bit different for me, that I wish that they had expounded on those types of relationships a little bit better. And also, one thing that kind of, I guess, raked me the wrong way this time was how everyone at the end of the film ended up seemingly married with a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. I just didn't like that. Like, okay, every the, all the women had their fun, and they had their moment in the sun, and they got to do what they wanted for a little bit. Then the men came home, and they all went and got married and had kids. The sad thing is, at that time, that's probably what happened, whether they wanted to or not. It was the only way to make it. But I just felt like that was kind of a little bit too cut and dry at the end for me. So there were some things. It lost a little bit of the luster, but I still liked the film very, very much. I did too. I was, I watched it with my husband and he had seen it before as well. And we were saying how, okay, yeah, the ADR is very noticeable. Almost every film is using ADR and probably much more than we think. But you can definitely tell when they're using ADR in this film, I thought. And for me to be picking up on that, it's like, okay, yeah, it's got to be a little bad. So there was there was that. And then also we were both saying, like, we remembered Tom Hanks's character as being like a lovable ruffian. When you watch it as an adult, you're like, oh, no, this guy is a fucking disaster. <laughs> like, he really does not have a shit together. Yeah. He is making all kinds of weird choices. It's like... A little harder to watch and not really as like, ha ha, look at Tom Hanks, he's wasted. It's a little more like, oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's sexual harassment, peeing in front of these women. There's also kind of more weird moments between him and Dottie than I remembered. So I, I for some reason, didn't remember that relationship as well. And then I had read somewhere that there was a kiss scene between the two of them. I think when they ran this for test audiences, they ended up cutting it because people were so upset that Dottie, whose husband is away fighting in the war, would kiss Tom Hanks's character, Jimmy. So they cut it. And instead of having the kiss scene in there, there's just kind of some sexual tension between the two of them. It is kind of a weird decision to make, I think, but maybe they felt like they needed to have some semblance of a love story or an attraction story in the film. I don't know. What did you make of that? I would think the first time I saw that, maybe I didn't pick up so much on their chemistry with each other. I probably noticed it more this time that they seemed to like each other. She was a strong, take-charge woman who knew baseball, was a great baseball player. I think he admired her. I think she admired him because he had been a baseball star. He was well-known. He was loved among baseball fans. So there had to be a little bit maybe of some hero worship going in for her until she saw him and was like, oh my gosh, this man is a mess. I could feel some of that mutual attraction between them. I I'm personally glad that it didn't end up in a kiss or end up in a romance. 
mainly because I just wanted the film to focus more on the relationship between the women and what their stories were more than a man. Even though I thought Tom Hanks' character was very interesting and he had his own backstory and it was kind of a redemption for him as well at the end of the film, I really just wanted this to focus on the relationship between the sisters and between the other players of the team and to see how they all came together and learned to support each other and almost became in a way like a family. For me, it just was like I wanted more deep characterization. I don't feel like the characters are that individual. You have Dottie and you have Kit. And I would say that that pairing is sort of at the heart of the film. They get the most screen time and there's also a plot with them in maybe the last like third of the movie where they are in tensions because Kit feels like Dottie is continuously overshadowing and demeaning her and they've kind of realized like they can't work together anymore and so Dottie asks to be traded. But instead of trading Dottie, they trade Kit because Dottie is like the star player. So Kit goes to the Racine Bells and Dottie stays on the Rockford Peaches. The World Series game at the end of the film is between the two sisters. So that's sort of the most developed relationship, I would say, in the film. But everyone else is a little... Mm -hmm. A little forgettable. Like, what would you say about the Betty Spaghetti character? I mean, I guess her husband gets killed in the war, and that's sad. But we don't really, like, know anything about her. Yeah, we never really know her. And then right after she finds out her husband was killed, Dottie's husband shows up out of the blue, knocking on the door. That seemed a little pit-pat to me. And all of a sudden, she was just going to give everything up and go back with him. But to her credit, she did not. So I would have been just happy to not even have Dottie's husband there. But I think it they brought him in maybe to show that she loved him and she was going to leave with him, but that her loyalty to the team brought her back at least for one last game. This is another movie where you're like, man, it would be better if the, all the men were not in it. Right. Right. <laughs> like... I mean, we can leave Tom Hanks, but okay, take everybody else out. Take it, you know, you yeah. got to just so they can kind of show that they could function without him if they needed to. I don't so. think we mentioned this yet, but they are so in the works coming out in, I believe, beginning of August is a TV adaptation of this movie done by Abby Jacobson from Broad City and Will Graham, who I think has produced a bunch of TV shows. But they are adapting this, but it's not going to be like a direct adaptation. It focuses on a different team in the league. So it's not focused on the Rockford Peaches. It's not like there's a Dottie character and there's a Kit character. It's just kind of the premise developed into a TV show. I would say my hope for it is that it will be a lot queerer. It will be more inclusive and that the characters will be better developed. So usually I get kind of irritated when it's like we're taking an old thing and we're updating it and making it new, especially when it's something that is beloved. But in this case, I definitely think it could benefit because this is a beloved movie, but watching it in 2022, you can see all the places where 
it's like, yeah, this is dated. Yeah, this could be better. This this could be changed and tweaked. I think that if they do it right, it will be very good and very watchable and will do the original movie and the original stories justice. I really have high hopes for that. It could be done so well. And especially with the TV series where you can really delve in. There were so many women in this film, which is wonderful, that it would have taken... It was almost impossible to get such a deep story on each one of them. But a TV series, you can really flesh yeah. out a lot of people over time. So that that would be a hope of mine that they would be able to do that. I agree. I was going to ask you one scene in the movie that I think was very pivotal that was put in for a certain reason. But what did you make of the scene where the women were out on the field throwing balls around, practicing with each other? A ball got overthrown. All of a sudden, it pans over to the sides, and there is a black woman there who picks up the ball, and she, like, throws it as hard as she could, way past Dottie's head, straight back, all the way back to the pitcher. And I just wanted to get your take on that scene of, it was just maybe, what, 30 seconds of what you thought about that. It was smart of them to include that because it felt like an acknowledgement of all of the black talent that they were missing out on because black women couldn't play in the league. So it felt almost like a little like nod to that part of history, even though it wasn't a big part of the film. It felt like their way of acknowledging it and saying, yeah, we we see this and we understand that it was a problem and it was fucked up and how much better could these teams have been if black women were allowed to play? Absolutely. That's the same thing that I took from it. You had sent me a great article beforehand to read and I was very surprised, delighted and surprised to read where black women were allowed to play with the black men in their leagues back in this time period. So there were talented black women that were at least given an opportunity to go into the leagues with men and play. But at the same time, as revolutionary as this all-women's baseball team was, they excluded black women, which is absolutely appalling. Yeah. (laughs) And unforgivable. The article, which we will link in the show notes, mentions three players, three Black women players, and they were Tony Stone, Mamie Peanut Johnson, and Connie Morgan. And Tony Stone, actually, there's a play that is built around her story. And I don't know if it's accessible anywhere. If it is, we'll link that as well. But I thought that that was interesting that, okay, at least there is some telling of Black female stories during this time, and these characters aren't, or these people aren't lost to history. They're also being preserved in some way. So I thought that was good, but I do hope that the TV show adaptation of A League of Their Own finds ways to incorporate Black women into the casting. And I do know they have cast Black women. I'm not exactly sure how. I haven't been keeping up on this. I'm sure they've released a bunch of trailers and preview articles and things, but I believe that they have integrated those stories somehow into the TV show. 
I mean, we have to say also, because there is another article that you sent me talking about this All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, the AAGPBL, and it actually had a lot of problems. It really was not so much pro-women as it was trying to fill a hole because at the time, a lot of male baseball players had been called into the war that was going on. They wanted like a novelty. So they found women that could play baseball. But instead of just saying, hey, you're talented, strong, we're going to give you the opportunity to go out, play sports, keep people entertained, they turned it kind of into like a lewd novelty act where the women, and and it's depicted in the film, and this is true, the women had to go through training of how to be a woman, how to be ladylike, to be taught manners, to walk around with books on their head, how to put on lipstick. Women were let go out of their contracts if they cut their long hair. They were made to wear skirts instead of being able to wear pants that would help protect their legs so they wouldn't be hurt. It was really appalling just to see how the women were bulldozed into once again being eye candy for the men that would be coming to these games, and also just the repression of any type of queer love between anyone. That was the a death knell of their career and probably everything else. If there was ever any wind caught of that, people were let go, ostracized. It was really something to find out that behind this idea, just how much misogyny <laughs> came along with it. One of the league mottos was play like a man, look like a lady, which I thought was such a great illustration of the double standard that women face then and that women face now, where it's like, yes, you have to be just as good as a man and don't let them see you cry. But also like you have to be feminine enough that I can get a boner for you. It's like just, ugh. Yeah disgusting yeah be good but don't be as good as me (laughs) yeah but be good enough that i want you (laughs) it's almost like the league was afraid that if the women came off as too masculine air quotes that there would be a lesbian panic or something you could kind of see the proliferation of that ideology i guess in reading some of these things and i think the important thing to note is that A lot of these women who played in the league were lesbians or were queer. So it would have probably been tough for the film at the time to have an openly queer character and to still make money. As fucked up as that is to say, I think that was probably true of the early 90s. Ellen didn't come out as gay until 97. Just to give you some idea of like where we were at culturally. So I think it probably would have been hard for Penny Marshall to have that type of storytelling in the film, but I can't help but regret that that it wasn't in there because it could have been really powerful and would have fixed a lot of my issues with the, like, who gives the fuck about the men in this film. It brings to mind the scene with Rosie O'Donnell's character when she, it's some type of it's a kind of an awkward scene, but but not so much where she was talking about how she never felt like a woman 
and they made me feel like I was a weird girl or a strange girl or maybe not even a girl just because I could play. She goes on this little monologue speech that could have really been developed into something, but at the time, you are absolutely correct. It would not have flown whatsoever. I do not believe in 1992. I would have loved to have seen Rosie having a crush on May or them even having a relationship with each other. They were such close friends. There seemed to be like there could be something that could have been developed even there at a different time. I mean, is there any any other scenes where you felt that it came coded as queer. I mentioned this before, but definitely that scene with Madonna teaching the illiterate woman to read in the back of the bus. Oh, yeah. That felt very erotic to me in some way. But I don't think, definitely when I saw it at the time, I don't think I thought that. I just thought that on rewatch. So it did make me wonder, like, okay, maybe there are little tiny nods to some of the queer subtext, but I am really hoping, and I have to imagine, like, Abby Jacobson, I trust her. I think that she will bring out those elements and that there will be a lot of queer relationships, queer storytelling, queer lens. Like, I fully believe that's where she's going with the TV adaptation of this. And to that, I say, like, good. It's about time. We need it. We want it. This story could be so much better if it was a lot gayer and had more diversity. I have to say... A League of Their Own does have a lot of things that could have happened, should have happened. You look back on it through our lens now, so many, 30 years later, you do see some of the problems. But, I mean, I do give props. A woman director, the stories of women, the stories of women in sports. Penny Marshall made sure these people, there was a lot of actresses that wanted to be in this movie and they could not play baseball and could not be taught to play baseball. They weren't allowed in the movie. She wanted it to be realistic. She wanted athletes there. She wanted women out on the field to represent strong, powerful women in sports. So there's so much also right about this movie, which is why I'm glad that we chose to talk about it in such a devastating week. I really do think a lot of it holds up very well. I think so too. It's just a very uplifting, heartwarming movie. One thing I just thought of that I want to mention (laughs) that I loved is uh, one of the women in the film has a kid and the kid ends up coming to the games and kind of living with her at the boarding house. And the kid is really fucking annoying, always running around and causing mischief. And there's one scene where I think, is it Jimmy, the Tom Hanks character, throws something at him and hits him in the face? Yes. A mitt, a baseball mitt. Yeah. Clocks him. Yeah, I turned to Luke and I was like, well, you can't, they can't do this in movies anymore. But it was really funny. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Oh, I was going to ask you what your favorite scene was, because I think that was at least one of my top favorite scenes where he just, this little kid is, Lana, you're going to lose. And he just takes the mitt and just clocks him upside the head and you just want to cheer. Yeah, You know, it's like, yes, this little brat. We do not condone child violence, but no, but it was funny in the context of this film. He wasn't really hurt. His pride was hurt. Yes, exactly. The, The child did not develop a, a wilt from it. No. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, my favorite scene. I'm oh. trying to think what really stands out to me. 
I kind of like the scene where Dottie and Kit arrive at the tryouts and meet Rosie's character and Madonna's character mm-hmm. for the first time. And they almost have sort of like a little prickly back and forth of like, you know, some of you are going to get right. cut. I think Madonna's character May says that. Uh, but then they end up being really close and not having like an inter-team rivalry. So it's kind of like it shows you some of the tensions that women have when they're in competition with other women. But then later it also highlights how those things can be put aside and how women can work together and do something great. And so it's kind of it's kind of a nice parallel of that. There is some competitiveness, but it dissipates and they're able to put it aside and work together. Yes, that was a good scene. I also like the scene where I believe it was Megan Cavanaugh. She's the one that played Marla Hooch, the, I'm doing air quotes, ugly woman in the film. And she goes out to a nightclub. You can tell this is the first time she's ever been out in a nightclub, ever probably had a drink. She'd probably had like half a drink and was absolutely blasted. And she was standing up on stage singing this love song to... Nelson, who was some man at the bar. And I just thought that was really funny because she was just up there giving it her all. She was just letting loose. And I was like, you go, girl. Just enjoy it. (laughs) No, that's a really good scene. Oh, you know, I also like the scene when Dottie is now older. She's an older lady. And she's going to the Baseball Hall of Fame to meet up with all of her old teammates and to reminisce and to see the exhibition. And when she arrives to the place where all the teammates are outside, someone throws a ball to her and she catches it. And it's like a close-up on her hand catching it. You know, even at 70-whatever, she's still got it. Right. And it's just cute to see all of the old lady versions of these characters, who I think some at least were played by their real-life historical counterparts. Not that it was ever like one-to-one character to real person, but... Right. I think some of the older women in those scenes were real historical figures they actually played in the league. Yes, I think that was a nice nod to the league. And I do believe that the ladies from the league saw one of the first screenings of the film. I think that they were allowed to see it before anyone else, which I thought was nice. So they were paying tribute to these women. And honestly, I was very shocked This league went on for 10 years. It went on from like 1943 to 1955 or a little over 10 years. And I had never heard of it before this film. I was never taught about this league or you didn't see any ESPN special about it that I knew of back then. So I think Penny Marshall did a great service. It wasn't a perfect league. It wasn't a perfect situation for these women. But being able to showcase these women and what they were able to do, and women in sports for this time, I felt like she brought a very important story to the forefront where now everybody knows about them. And I think, not next time, but we definitely want to do more films about women in sports on the podcast. Because now that I'm thinking about it, some of my most cherished movies, especially from my childhood, are about women in sports. And I don't, even now, I feel like there are really not enough of them. Like, have you seen anything recently? Not recently, no. I think the last 
well, I don't know if it was the last, but one of the last films I saw was at South by Southwest a couple of years ago. It was a documentary called Qualified by Jenna Ricker and Caroline Waterlow about Janet Guthrie, who was one of the first women to compete in motorsports. Uh, but I mean, other than that, I can't, I'm like really trying to think. And maybe there have been some and I've just missed them. I think we were talking about a film last week, one of the films from our podcast last week that the character recommended to be rented and one of the films was about two women runners that had a love affair with each other i think was it muriel hemingway was one of them and it was one i had never seen before and i think you had you maybe had seen it but there's that and then there's also love and basketball we'll have to do that one eventually and absolutely we'll just have a whole series of women in sports films i think that would be wonderful so I think, is that is that it? Do we have anything else we wanted to talk about that we didn't? No, I somehow feel better after this. Yeah. I feel a little bit more hopeful just after thinking about all the strong women that have come before us and all the strong women that I know are going to come after me. So no, I feel good about it. And I would love to hear feedback from our audience. Thank you for listening. And if you have anything you want to add, we would love to hear from you. Please give us a like. Let us know what you think. Let us know your thoughts on this and any other films that you would like for us to talk about. And especially if you have any recommendations for newer films that are about women in sports that you think are done really well. We would love you to recommend those to us. Ooh, I just thought of one, Nadia Butterfly. That's a good one that you could check out. Maybe we'll start putting together a list and we'll make that available to everyone. Because I think it would be good to have all of these in some place, like the same place where you could just reference it anytime you you need something sort of uplifting and, and nice to pull you out of your depression hole as the world crumbles absolutely a mental health break yes women in sports all right well thank you everyone for listening we will be back in two weeks we as usual have no clue what we're going to talk about but we have been watching the tv show love and anarchy which is on netflix And we've also been watching Gentleman Jack on HBO. So maybe we'll talk about one of those. Maybe we'll talk about something totally different. But we hope you will join us back here in two weeks. Goodbye, everyone. Stay strong. All right. You don't have to add that in there if it sounds stupid. (laughs) I I didn't know what to say.